right, give me the heritage. I need it. guest and I'm I'm just so pleased that he's able to join us here be able to talk some hockey cards. I absolutely love hockey. Y'all know I'm a Stars fan. I'm a huge Stars fan. A couple of years ago, for a couple of years I was a season ticket holder, went to a bunch of Stars games. Uh, I love playoff hockey. I, I I love talking hockey, but I don't know a lot about hockey cards if it doesn't have the word Gretzky or Sagan on it. So <laughs> I thought with the upcoming season coming up here pretty quick, I'd get the great Jeremy Lee to jump on with us and uh, talk a little hockey cards. So it was a pleasure to, to have you on, Jeremy, and I really appreciate the time to talk to me and the tribe. Thanks, man. It's, uh, it's nice to be here. Always happy to, ho- to talk. Always happy to hockey talk cards. Always happy to talk <laughs> hockey cards. So uh, let, let's do it. Let's do it, man. I, I can't wait. Yeah, say that three times really, really quickly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, honestly, I mean, I I used to work for uh, a information security company, and that's where I met you know Jeff from. But I used to cover Calgary for uh, the security company that I worked for. I, I covered Cal- uh, Calgary. I've been up to Banff. I've covered uh, Southern Toronto. I covered. Uh, all of Quebec and the government of, of Canada. So I, I'm actually, you know, I, I like Canada. I love being up there. And uh, uh, I've actually gone to the Flames Stadium and I actually saw Blake Shelton in in the stadium. A great, great, amazing stadium. Great place to watch concert. I can only imagine how awesome it is to watch a hockey game there. It's uh, yeah, I've been to several myself. Uh, we, it's called the Saddle Dome. the The roof of the building is in the shape of a saddle, hence hence the Saddle Dome. And uh, you know, it is one of the older arenas in the NHL uh, right now. And there's been talks about getting a new building here for several years. And I think there is something uh, kind of in the works. I know it was, but you know, earlier in 2020. So hopefully they get back on track with that and get us more of a state of the art building. The building up in Edmonton is apparently the best sporting venue in, in the world is what I've heard and it's brand new and, and quite beautiful. So hopefully we get something like that pretty soon here that can compete with them up North. Cause you know, we already have the hockey rivalry. Now we need the, now we need the arena rivalry as well, but uh, I need to hear that you've been up here and you've been to the, you've been uh, in my hood. So that, that's cool to hear Brad. Yeah, we went to Stampede. Uh, we went to Stampede and during Stampede, they had the concert there. And then we had the pleasure of afterwards going to Banff. And we spent a week up in Banff. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful country. So well, I thoroughly enjoy the area. Any chance I get to go back up there, I definitely do it. My wife, my wife and I both loved it. Uh, Lake Louise and took helicopter ride to see the Three Sisters, and and it was it was a blast. We loved it. We absolutely loved loved it. 
it's but, one of uh, the nice things. Uh, one of the, one of the nice things about living in Calgary is that you can literally get in your car, and in, in about 50 minutes, you can be having lunch in Banff and going for hikes uh, in the mountains, and uh, kind of getting a a, 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 a midday vacation, you know, in the mountains. Come back and get back to work the next day if you want. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a great place to live. Yeah, yeah. Enough vacation talk. Let's talk hockey. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So give it, give me, give up the goods. Give up the goods, man. How, how, when, where you started collecting hockey cards? And who do you, who do you give, give up, give up the goods? Well, I, you know, I, like most uh, Canadian kids, I, I, I grew up uh, opening packs of OPG hockey cards, uh, just buying them at my, my, my corner drugstore when I used to get sent there to buy cigarettes for, for my mother uh, and, and that kind of thing. And I go and spend my allowance there, uh, you know, 25 cents a pack sort of thing. Um, it started when I was, when I was, it was probably 1979, 78, 79. I was just a little guy. And uh, I had some cousins that had cards where they were a little bit older than me. And I saw these cards on the floor of, the, of my cousin's bedroom. And I was like, oh, these are cool. And I'd look at them. So I used to go to games with my dad, uh, WHA games when the Winnipeg Jets were mm-hmm. in the WHA, the World Hockey Association. And, um, and I, you know, you'd look at the cards and you'd see these players with the stats on the back. And of course, at, at a young age, you're just getting into reading and numbers and all that sort of thing. So I was pretty enamored by it. And I thought, oh, these are pictures of these guys you see on the ice. And I thought it was so cool. So I, I, it's been like, that's when I first got the bug and I've had it ever since. And, um, you know, throughout the 80s, I was buying packs and completing the sets of every year, the complete set and trading with my friends at recess, that sort of thing. And then um, that carried me right through. I graduated high school in 1990, and I collected all the way through high school. And then after graduation, I actually went to, I went to Australia for a year on the, on the Students Working Abroad program. And I was like, nice. I was like, I, yeah, I was like jonesing for cards. I couldn't find them anywhere. I found this one like hobby comic store, and they had packs of Skybox basketball, the first year of Skybox basketball on the counter. So I was like, oh, these are great. I'm going to buy some of these and had my, had my, my little uh, taste of it while I was, you know, on the other side of the world. Uh, but, you know, came back and uh, opened up a, a shop, a small store called JJ's Sports Cards in Winnipeg, which for those that don't know is just north of North Dakota. And, uh, and um, yeah, we had a shop there from 91 until about 94, right during the, right during the junk wax era. Uh, you know, after mm-hmm. that, I, well, I was, I was in the university after that. So I took a bit, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't leave the hobby, but I slowed down for a few years. And, um, and then I, you know, come around the year 2000, 99, 2000, I, I just dove right back in and I have, and I've been diving deeper and deeper ever, ever since. So that's, uh, that's kind of the history on, on my, on getting into the hobby and taking me through. And like since 2000 till now, I mean, you know, you've seen it too. I'm sure a lot of listeners have, have seen what's gone on. It's just been it just keeps on getting better and better and better. And, uh, you know, hockey cards themselves have been through a bit of a, they've been through some cycles, you know, different exclusive licenses and or different licenses between uh, Upper Deck and Panini over the past several years. You know, we had tops up until the early 2000s. And and now we have the single licensee uh, being Upper Deck. And, you know, I, I feel fortunate because I think they make the nicest cards. So um, I'm happy that, that they have the hockey license. And yeah, man, I mean, happy to, get into more detail but uh that's kind of the overview nice nice and i I learned something absolutely new i didn't know your own you owned your own shop that's that's pretty cool that's pretty cool there's not a lot of guys out there that 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 have done that or will admit that they've done that (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it was back in those early days with those. I remember we had those, uh, that, that I think it was what, 91 Donruss baseball, that yellow box. Mm-hmm. And they were just, and they were just the ugliest cards. And, and <laughs> you know, that's kind of, that's kind of one of my memories, but um, you know, it was, uh, it was fun times. And, you know, I met a lot of back then everyone was collecting cards. We, we were super busy almost every day. And uh, I remember, you know, Brett Hall, Brett Hall, who's a, who's a a Hall of Famer and one of the best goal scorers of all time. His, his rookie card, his 88 OPT rookie card was the most popular card uh, back in those, back in those days in the early nineties, as far as I remember. And uh, I remember we had a contest or like a draw for every $10 spent in the shop. You got a, you got one entry into the draw and we had like, I don't know, probably a thousand entries in that thing by the time the, the couple weeks were done and, somebody won that card and you know raw it hasn't changed in value at all since then but of course graded it has just like everything else so uh, but yeah the shop was a good time and uh but you know we got out of it i was busy in university and um yeah couldn't get my couldn't get my my mother was tired of uh minding the shop so yeah we all went on to other things but uh certainly never left the hobby well you just mentioned one of my top three in order gretzky hull and sagan and I just every time Brett Hull's name's mentioned, I go into a great big man crush love for for Hull just because <laughs> played for the Stars, hit that game winning goal, and oh my gosh, every time we can catch him at the at the Stars Arena, you got guys that walk up to him, bow, and do the we're not worthy, we're not worthy. I mean, it's it's pathetic yeah. and it's ridiculous, but. Brett Hall, man, one one of my all-time favorites, one of my all-time favorites. So yeah, you you had mentioned uh, you had mentioned back in the old days, the olden days, as the new guys would would say it back in the because I graduated in '90 as well, so we're we're the same age. Can you yeah. talk to me about the in the new guys about OPG versus tops? I know I I know a little bit about it, but can you go a little bit more into because I was always fascinated by OPG cards, but down here in Texas, we could never get them. We could never yeah. get them. Yeah. So the whole thing is that basically OPG was a was a licensee of Tops. They licensed the rights to distribute hockey cards in Canada, but they used their own name. So it was the same images and the, the same front and back, uh, you know, images that were used, but uh, they were printed on a different card stock. Uh, and that's really the only difference between those cards for all of the years except one. And I'll get to that in a second. But basically, um, Opeachy made Opeachy, you know, was was a confectionery company, and it made cards out of London, Ontario, which is I don't know, a couple hours outside Toronto. I do. And I know we're yeah, London. And they, awesome. So they made cards starting in 1933, and they made cards from 33 till around 1940, and then they stopped. And then they were gone. And then Tops, well, they weren't gone. They were done with cards. Tops came out and started making hockey cards in 1954. Beautiful cards. They're red, white, and blue. Uh, there's an amazing Gordie Howe card in there. It's not his rookie card. His rookie card is from 1951 Parkhurst, which is a smaller card. But Tops came in in 1954, and they made cards basically from then forward, hockey cards, up until you know they stopped in around 2000, 2002, or something like that. But Actually, and there were two years that they didn't make cards. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So they were started in 54 and made cards up until the 80s. And then uh, Opeachy started making cards again, or I, I guess they, they made them 
under license from Tops and distributed them in Canada, and they did that beginning in 1968 with us for the 68-69 season. And they made mm-hmm. cards all the way through until you know until the the, the modern era. And uh, so every year you'd have a set of Opeachy and a set of Tops, and they looked the same, but the Opeachy series would often be bigger, i.e., more there would be more cards in the set because you know hockey, Canadian. Canada's national pastime, so it just made sense to to put more players in there. They they could sell better in Canada, so so they did that. And meanwhile, in in the U.S., Tops was still making their smaller series every year, and they would you know they would distribute them in the United States, which is like ten times the population of Canada. So there were plenty of them out there. And there's two years where Tops just didn't do hockey cards, but but Opeachy did, and that's 1982-83 and 1983-84. For whatever reason, they just didn't do it. And then they came back for the 84-85 season, which was Steve Eiserman's rookie year, and they made cards from then from then on. Uh, the one year where they looked different was 1980-81, where Tops put this, like, black scratch-off, uh, you know, like you'd get, like, a lottery ticket scratch-off. They put that kind of thing on top of certain part uh, certain part of the card where you'd scratch it off to see where the play, who the player was, which is kind of a, a funny gimmick. And, you know, those cards are really tough to find in good shape. They're really tough to find those un, unscratched. People want Opeachy cards, I think, simply because there were less of them printed, fewer of them printed than, than tops. And that's the general rule going back to the 68-69 season uh, through till really until the 88-89 year, which is the Brett Hall rookie year. 89-90 is a little bit different because in 89-90, Opeachy made a bunch of vending cases and printed just printed the heck out of, out of the series. So that's the only year where tops is sort of the the rarer card joe sackick's rookie year and joe sackick is an all-time hall of famer i know you've heard of him but many people uh, yeah <laughs> but he's you know joe's he's still he's the general manager of the colorado avalanche right now he's a classy uh, guy he, he was a classy player he's an all-timer and so his rookie card his tops rookie card in 89 is actually the the psa 10 population is 17 out of over a thousand graded where his Opeachy population, I can't quote it, but it's, it's like a couple hundred probably out of, you know, 12 or 1500 graded. So it's really a lot easier to get. Um, that's the only year that, that, uh, that I believe tops is kind of more valuable than Opeachy, but that's, those are basically the, the differences. Um, yeah. That's about all I can think of uh, to, to kind of discern between the two brands. The key is that these cards look the same every year so yeah you know it's, it's just that the opichi is rare and that's one of those more highly pursued in the hobby well you know why they're the sacket cards so rare don't you because all the dallas stars fans took them all and burned them <laughs> <laughs> could be i've never it's the first time i've heard that theory but i i don't uh i'm not going to dispute it here tonight <laughs> And for those of y'all who don't know, Avalanche and Stars are just great, big, huge rival fans. And I lived in, I actually lived in Colorado Springs for a while, and I had the pleasure of, of going to Stars uh, uh, Lanch games in, in, in Colorado. And of course, stupid me, I would wear my great, big, huge Stars hockey sweater, my, my Stars hat, and it was back when the Stars weren't that great. But dang it, I wore my freaking jerseys to the game, or sweater to the game. <laughs> And I loved As it. You I have. absolutely loved it. I loved As you it. should have. 
I just want to I just yeah. want to say I just quickly looked it up here. The the PSA 10 OPG population for Joe Sackick is 236 out of just under 3,500 graded. So 236 10s wow. 10 OPGs, we're only 17 tops. And the the OPG card has recently been selling for about $500, whereas the tops card has recently been selling for $2,500. Just to I don't know, just to share that perspective. It's the only year where that phenomenon exists. Every other year, OPG is more, if not much more valuable than the TOPS counterpart. Yeah. Can you go a little bit more into the vintage of hockey card? I mean, what, where does the vintage begin and end? Or, end, or where, where does the vintage and, and modern end? Because everybody's always like, what's vintage? What's new? What's vintage? What's new? Is it like a baseball in like 82, 83, or is it different in hockey? You know, great question. I love this discussion because I have what I, I have my personal definition of vintage, and I, I I I I think it makes good sense for me. But um, the first hockey cards were 1910, 1910-11 set, and they're the same size and shape as the T206 baseball cards. They were distributed in cigarette packs, just like those were, and they contain you know the the pioneers of the game, the original players. So. They're known as the the C50. It's funny. There's three years, 1910, 11, and 12, and then there weren't any more cards until 1923. And uh, so the the first year is called the C56. The second year is called the C55, and the third year is called the C57. So they're out of order, but that's just the way it is as it stands mm-hmm. now. So, you know, and then there were cards all the way. You know, there were cards in the 20s, 23, 24. Uh, I think a little couple in 25. Then there were cards in 1933, 36, 37, uh, a couple in the early 40s. And then you skipped until the 1951 Parker set came out. And then there were cards all the way through Parker's and Tops, all the way through until yeah. the end of the end of my defi- the, the end of the vintage era as I define it, which is going to be different than a lot of people, but I personally define vintage for all sports to have ended after the 88 or 89 so in hockey you know we have a dual year it's 88 89 so after the 88 89 or even the 89 90 series to me it becomes it becomes modern in hockey for me in 90 91 because that's when we've got upper deck cards pro set and score we went from having just tops and opichi to having um you know all the new comp you know especially upper deck came in where i know in baseball upper deck came in the year earlier with the 89s so to me, vintage ends right at the end of the 80s. I don't consider 82 to be the end of vintage. Nothing changed from 82 to 83 in hockey. But I guess in baseball, all of a sudden, you got Don Russ and Fleer. So I see how that can be considered the end of vintage in, in baseball. Maybe that's a bit of a difference between the two. And then, you know, but, but Brad, it's funny because the discussion is now turning to, you know, when when did modern start? Mo- we're 2020 is obviously modern, but when did modern start? I've I've now heard of this. Pre of the vintage, pre-modern, and modern eras. Pre-modern being from like 1990 until 2015 or 16, and then we've got modern. And you've even heard of ultra-modern now as a term that I I hear that's being uh, that's being used. So I'd love you know, there to be a, a standard. That's a yeah, that's a great theory. I mean, if you think about and I didn't even think about this with, with hockey. When you even when you got the miracle. Even then, hockey cars were hockey just exploded, for lack of a better phrase, exploded in the United States. You you don't have that explosion of cards where in baseball that's right when that area where they where the junk wax took off. And then, but baseball or but hockey never really did until I mean, if you want an example, it it hasn't. But 
it really expanded in that 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 nineties that late nineties time frame. So you may be right as far as as far as that time because I just remember OPG in Topps hockey cards all the way through the times that I collected and I don't remember like an explosion until even now there's not a huge explosion of it, but it's it's gradually expanded in through your timeline. So, mm-hmm. and but to think of the of the pre ultra modern or modern, that's interesting definitions. Where I never thought of it that way. I absolutely, yeah, I never thought of it. But it makes logical sense. From, yeah, I think from, I think I've heard people talking about ultra modern being like 2018 to 2020, and then modern being like i don't know maybe 2010 to 2018 and then pre-modern probably probably being you know maybe earlier in the 2000s i i believe that the 90s needs to stand alone as its own era because it was such a transitional period for the hobby between because you had you had the explosion in the early 90s and then you had the total wind down in the late where Mm -hmm. there was really the hobby really contracted in the second half of the 90s however that's when some of the coolest cards were made was the second yep. half of the nineties. So the nineties is almost its own era. It's like everything up until 1989, 1990 is, is vintage to me. Everything in the nineties is just, let's just refer to that era as the nineties. And then, you know, then we started having really uh, the proliferation of autographs on cards and patch cards mm-hmm. and Jersey autos and patch autos, all that kind of started in the early 2000, 2002 in that era. So to me, that's modern. To me, modern would be like 2002 forward. If I had to really think about it, I think maybe modern would be defined by the beginning of the when auto patches and auto jerseys be, and thicker cards were first first debuted. I mean, the first jersey cards were skinnier than 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 the cards of the 80s. You know, if yeah. you remember those yeah. upper deck 90, 96 jerseys are like they're like cl- printed on Kleenex. It seems so. To me, maybe the modern starts in 2002, and that the 90s is from 1990 till 2002, and then you've got some. You got the modern uh, from 2002 to 2020 that can be split up and split up further into smaller eras if you so choose. You know, and I think some people are choosing to do that because of this recent the explosion over the last two and a half, three years, which has really just been <laughs> the most crazy time in the hobby that I've ever seen. And boy, is it fun to watch. So let's t- let's talk a little bit about prospects. I mean, I know I know Thomas Harley, I know I know Ryan Damian, I know Camanio, uh, uh, all the guys from the from the from the Stars. Just because I've got the Texas uh, Stars here and I got the Dallas Stars too. But from other from that, I'm not a huge like prospects or or minor league uh, knowledgeable person. Who would you say are like the top prospects in hockey to watch? Let me let me let me start. Let me just go give you a bit more context, if if, if you don't mind, Brad. I, I want to start sure. by I want yeah because I'm going to give a bit of a broader answer, I think, so I can round it out for people that might be listening that are looking to maybe get into hockey that haven't before. So the, there's in hockey, if we're talking about guys that are still playing, the three most important players are Sidney Crosby. Alexander Ovechkin and Connor McDavid. They are the LeBron James of hockey right now. They're all LeBron James as far as hockey would go. They're all LeBron James, and uh, I, mean, I, I guess I just have to have to leave it at that. Then you've got 
this, then you've got like the next tier of superstar. Now let's keep in mind, Sidney Crosby's been in the league for 15 years. Ovechkin's mm-hmm. been in the league for, for 15 years. These are guaranteed, mm-hmm. guaranteed Hall of Famers. They have Stanley Cups. They have international, um, international uh, 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 success. And they have they have individual awards, so they, they're everything you look for in a player to uh, to collect and invest in. Then you've got uh, oh, and I just want and then you got Connor McDavid, who's only been in the league for five years, but he's already yeah. like at that level. He doesn't have the Stanley Cups yet, but you know, hopefully he gets and he gets one or two, and his uh, you know his status in the league is is up and up with those with the Crosby's and the Ovechkins. You know, it basically, if you think of the history of hockey, you've got, you know, in terms of the best of the best, you've got Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr, mm-hmm. Wayne, Gretz- mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, Alexander Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, and this new kid who was just drafted this year by the New York Rangers is, is you know, some people are expecting him to follow in, in, that, in that lineage, and his name is Alexi Lafreniere. And he was, he's all, you know, the big excitement in Upper Deck Series 1 that came out in November here of 2020. So right. that, those are the best players. But then there's a bunch of, like, next-level players. In Toronto, you've got Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, both very, mm-hmm. very exciting players. A lot of people invest and collect those guys. You've got in Vancouver, you've got one, who might be one of the best players is, um, uh, what, I can't think of his first name, Pedersen. Uh, his first name's escaping me right now. But his name is Pedersen, and he's he's a great great player out of Van, in in Vancouver. Um, and you know, if you're looking at the first overall draft picks for the first uh, for the last couple of years, you know, not including Alexi Lafreniere, who was just in 2020, but 2019 you had Jack Hughes. Um, years before you had guys like Nico Hischier, who also plays for the mm-hmm. New Jersey Devils. You know, these guys just aren't. They're not at the same level as the players that I've previously mentioned. Carolina has a couple of really good young players in Sebastian Aho and um, and Alexei Svechnikov, and I just remembered um, it's Elias Pedersen out of Vancouver. That's his first name, Elias okay. Pedersen. There's another really good player who's investable. I believe his name is uh, Leon Dreisaitl. He plays with Connor McDavid in Edmonton. In Boston, you've got uh, you've got uh, Pasternak. Pasternak is maybe yes. one of the best goal scorers in the league. He kind of reminds me a lot of uh, of of Yaramir Yager, and Yager's a you know an all timer as well, one of the one of the best ever to play the game. Uh, you know, so prospecting is different in hockey than it is in any other sport because players in hockey just take longer to develop. You're not going to see a you're not going to see a player. It's very rare that a player comes out of junior, gets drafted into, into the NHL, takes the ice and leads his team or leads the league or becomes the best player in the league. Like you see in basketball when you know, Kobe Bryant was immediately one of the best LeBron James, immediately one of the, one of the best, you're not, you don't see that in hockey as much. You do see it sometimes where a couple of years later, they are, they are the best, but it's going to take a bit of time for them to win championships. You're not going to win. You're not going to bring a championship to your city at the age of 18 or 19 years old, but you are at the age of 22, 23 or 24. If you have some good pieces around you, which Sidney Crosby did. Uh, Alexander mm-hmm. Ovechkin took took longer to win his Stanley Cup, but he got there. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, prospecting isn't it's not the it's not the hockey isn't the best for prospecting. But unless you're patient, if you have a longer term view and outlook, you can do very well. But you have to be willing to ride out those early those early peaks and valleys because players are streaky, and um, and you can have a player come out start the season, score four goals in his first game, 
cards are going to go bananas, right? They're going to go bonkers. But then he could go two weeks without scoring a goal. So now everyone's going to mm-hmm. be, you know, they're going to be all panicky and they're going to sell and they're going to sell at a loss. And then he's going to have another week stretch where he has, you know, four, three games where he scores a goal, two goals, three goals. And now all of a sudden he's, he's the darling of the hobby. So you have to be patient yeah. uh, with hockey. You're not going to, you're just going to see the, not going to see the consistency that I think uh, the hobby right now expects from the, from the young prospects. So, I mean, there's, there's so many good young players. I would almost recommend buying the second and third year guys over the, the first year, the guys that haven't even played yet. You were going to jump in. No, I was just going to say, I, I didn't hear you hear you name off guys like Brett Hull, Mike Madonna, Darian Hatcher, Sergey Zuboff, uh, let's see, Rose the history Hins, of Dallas. Tyler the history of Dallas. Well, let me say this. <laughs> Tyler... Tyler Sagan was a was a huge prospect coming out of the NHL draft. He was he was drafted second overall in 2010, I believe. And what a what a great player he was for for and he's still a great player, but I think he I don't know what's going on with him in Dallas. He's just not scoring like like he I believe is is capable. My favorite player on the Dallas Stars right now, a player that I think is unbelievable. He will he will win a Norris Trophy one year being best defenseman in the NHL is uh Miro Heiskanen. I watched yeah. this guy throughout, throughout. Yeah, I watched him in the playoffs because he, you know, the the stars played my Calgary Flames in the first round, so I watched all those games, and I couldn't take my eyes off him. He was controlling the game. When that guy's on, he is a force to be reckoned with. And I mean, the hobby knows about him. He, he it's not like he he's a mystery. But you know, I would if I was, and I'm not someone. I don't like to pump up any player, but I'm just talking about a player that I really liked watching that I think is going to win a Norris Trophy. And when I say going to win a Norris Trophy, that might be eight years down the road. You look at right, you right, look right. at Victor, yeah, because look at Victor Hedman in in Tampa Bay. He was drafted in 2009. He was second overall to John Tavares, drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning, and has been a great, steady offensive defenseman his whole career. But didn't but played in Tampa, so didn't get a lot of recognition. And finally. He broke out in the last couple of years. And this past year, I, I believe he won the Conn Smythe Trophy, which is awarded to the most valuable player in the playoffs, won the Stanley Cup. And I think he won the Norris Trophy as well, meaning that he has, he has arrived. But it took him some time. And Miro Heiskanen is a, is a similar player in that these guys are power play quarterbacks. They're, they're, but they're also good defensively. And that's, I mean, that's what you want from a defenseman. So I think Heiskanen in Dallas, I mean... If I were to ever, if I were to prospect on a player, like if I were to go on Com C and look to pick up a dozen or two of, of his young guns, um, that's a player that I would consider doing it for. I, I just think you're lucky to have him. He, to me, was, oh, God, I loved watching him play, even though he was taken apart by Calgary Flames. Yeah, he uh, he came in and he started off smoking hot. And then, like you said, he, he disappeared. And that's because of his age. He, he, I honestly, truly believe he's he's going to be that that fifth year, that fifth year guy, and it may be four, maybe maybe six, but right in that area where he's supposed to mature, he's going to take off, and it could be, it, it could take Jenny Ben, and it could take Tyler Sagan, and it could take a couple of those guys being removed for him to fully blossom, because they can't seem to fit him on a particular line and leave him there. They'll, they'll put him on the second line, the first line, second line. If the third line's struggling, they'll put him back there. It, he, they just move, because he's such a versatile player, he, he just gets moved around a lot. And it's tough to get into a rhythm with a group of guys, a, a particular three, a particular five, 
if you're constantly being moved around. But I will, I will say this. He is highly touted. He is highly loved in, in the Dallas Stars fan base. And I'm just, every time I watch, I'm just like, where's Miro? Where's Miro? Is he on the ice? Is he on the ice? Is he on the ice? And it's just, and every time he's on the ice, you can see the control. And you can, at his age, you can see the respect that he has from other players in the, in the NHL. It's very apparent whenever he jumps on that ice because you've got at yeah. least one, if not two, constantly after him like a freaking uh, fly on honey because they're just all over him to, to try to stop him. So, yes, I 100% agree as a Dallas starter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's only twenty. He's only twenty years old. Like the guy's got a ton of a ton of upside. Then you know you've got this Dennis Gurianov who's who's twenty two. He's really he's I think an up and comer. And then there was this one guy uh, who tore it up in the playoffs this year. Who was a complete no name before the playoffs started. And then he had that one four goal game, a game winner. Uh, Joel Kira, Kiv, 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 It's hard to say. Excuse me. Yeah. Kivaranta. Kivaranta. Like. Uh, you know, I don't know if he'll turn into anything, but, you know, I'm sure there's Stars fans that are prospecting on him right now. But the, the Dallas Stars are built to win now because of just the like, – I love the Alexander Radulov pickup before last year from yeah. Montreal. Or he – or not, you know, he, he didn't resign with Montreal and signed with you guys. I was so – so shocked that Montreal wouldn't have kept him because he was he wasn't that expensive and he's he's a, he's a goal scorer he's a he's a playmaker he's and he's big and tough too I think so yeah the stars the stars have some uh, you know it's funny Brad there's so many Dallas Stars fans up here in Calgary where I live there's like I know three guys that are hardcore Dallas Stars fans and they're hobbyists too and they all they're always competing for the Mike Madanos and the Jamie Benz you know you mentioned earlier you didn't hear me say Mike Madano or or, you know, or Sergei Zubov and a bunch of the other, like, all-time Dallas stars. But Mike Medano, Mike Medano is like, you know, he's just, he, he's right up there in the Joe Sackick level of, you know, yes. hockey importance and hockey royalty. He's, all, and what a great guy, one of the all-time highest-scoring American-born players of all time. So I'm sure that's really exciting for American hockey fans to have him, you know. Um, yeah, man, I mean, and I can, Jeremy Roan, I, Jeremy Roan is another one of my all-time favorites, also, yes. uh, American, yeah, also American-born. So, yeah, I can tell you, yeah, Madonna is a is a great uh, ambassador for Dallas, a great ambassador for hockey, a great ambassador for for the Dallas Stars. He's really loved here in, here in Dallas. He lives and his family's decided to to stay here. Just a great and every time everything that I've heard, I mean, of course you hear like the one offs of Madonna was a jerk, and you you hear that, but. I hear way, way more of Madonna just being a good, solid, nice guy than I do anything else. So we're really blessed to be able to have him him here. And I can tell you that Calgary and Dallas are sister cities. They are yeah. very, very similar. I mean, when I was in Calgary, I thought I was in Dallas. I mean, it was it was it was it was well, creepy, but cool. It was very yeah, creepy, but very, very cool. It's oil country, just like it is down there. You know, let me let me just mention a couple other young players for your listeners, because I, you know, there's so yes, many please. exciting young players in hockey. So, excuse me. Uh, you know, you've got goal, goalies are a special breed too, the goaltenders. And right now, we're sort of in a period where there aren't any like goalies that are humongous sort of prospects. Mm-hmm. But uh, but this guy out of Winnipeg who won the Vezina Trophy this year, his best goaltender is Connor Hellebuck. 
and he had a yeah. he had a really great year. So he's he's sort of an up and comer. I did I failed to mention earlier Nathan McKinnon from the Colorado Avalanche might be the best player in the NHL. Yeah. I think he's like if, oh. if Connor McDavid is, is it's like a one and a one A, but McKinnon is bigger, stronger. Uh, he's just as good on the puck. He does um, he, at at at, at high speed. Yeah, he's so good. <laughs> he's so good. In Tampa Bay, you've got Nikita Kucherov, who's led the league uh-huh. in scoring for a couple of years. Like he's amazing. You've got Artemi Panarin. They call him the bread man in, uh, uh, for the New York Rangers this coming up year. He's a great, great player. You got Jack Eichel in Buffalo. Jack Eichel was drafted second right after Connor McDavid. And he's, I think he's, he's another guy who's, I think, I think he's undervalued for his potential right now. And that's what happens in hockey, right? This guy was huge prospect. He, you know, he would have been selling, you know, like Zion kind of thing preseason. Um, and mm-hmm. then he, in the, but he was on Buffalo, and they're not an offensive team, so he's not getting a lot of points because he doesn't have the pieces around him. But but so so his values come down. But I can see his I can see uh, one of two things happening: either that team gets a lot stronger, and they did just bring in Taylor Hall, who's a mm-hmm. who's an all-time like who's a, a very offensive player, and uh, so either he'll start scoring in Buffalo because they'll bring in more pieces, or he'll get traded, which has been rumored for a while, and he'll go to a better team and score more goals. So. Jack Eichel's a, a young guy who I think is sort of worthy of looking at for collectors right now. Um, Matthew Barzell. Matthew Barzell for the New York Islanders is another excellent young player. I believe his rookie card is the 2016 set, 16, 17, I think. And uh, he's just a great player. So you're noticing, like, he's a 16, a 2016 rookie. Jack Eichel's a 2016 rookie. We're four years later, and we're still talking about their potential, and that's just hockey versus basketball, where like it seems like in basketball, you just kind of know if these guys are going to be superstars within their first season, whereas in hockey, yeah. it can take a bit more time. So there's lots of great players out there to collect, though. There's 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 tons, and uh, I think you know you've also in the New York Rangers, you also have Capo Caco, who was I know it's a funny name, Capo Caco, and he was first or second overall in his year, I think second, and um, Another player with with you know a, a, a major prospect in, in the NHL, so lots well, of really players. Both, is, yeah, you keep mentioning East Coast guys, I, which is fairly interesting because there's not a lot of of the West Coast love. You know, there's not, and I don't know whether it's just because the East Coast is closer to Canada, so you've got a lot more, you know, you've got a lot more, uh, but like. The Coyotes and, and uh, San Jose Sharks and the Shark Tank. I mean, there's the, the Kings. There's some some good West Coast hockey teams out there. But why why do they consistently have a hard time with the original six or the East Coast East Coast hockey? What, do you have a theory as why that is? I mean, the, the hockey in the in the in the Western Conference has been good as well. You know, it's been good, if not better, than in uh, in the Eastern Conference over you know in certain years. Um, but if you look at the players on the teams, I'm just I'm just like scanning a list of the teams right now. You look at the San Jose Sharks. There's there's no real great prospects on there that I can think mm-hmm. of right now. You got Logan, you got Logan Couture, you got Thomas Hurdle. They're decent. The LA Kings, LA Kings have been faltering for a long time. You know, they've got Anze Kopitar, who's a great player. Drew Doughty, who's like an Olympic great, you know, and they've won Stanley Cups, these guys that win L.A., but they just haven't been as good lately. But they just had the second overall draft pick in 2020, and they picked up this, I think his name is Quinton Byfield, 
and he looks like he's going to be an amazing player. So I'd be very excited if I was the LA Kings. Um, Arizona has just been a bad, the Coyotes have been a bad team for a very long time. Vancouver has, Vancouver has some great young talent. I would love to be a Canucks fan right now because They've got Elias Pettersson, who I mentioned earlier. Then they've got Quinn Hughes. He's the brother of Jack Hughes, who was first overall for the New Jersey Devils a couple of years ago. But Quinn Hughes is a defenseman, and Wayne Gretzky recently was quoted as saying he's got like hands like me sort of thing. He thinks he's going to be a great player, and, and he is a great player. But he's a defenseman, and defensemen just don't get the hobby love like, like yeah. scorers or goaltenders do. But I think that should change because this past year – or the two best rookies were defensemen, Quinn Hughes, and you also had Kale McCarr for the Colorado Avalanche. These are two, I should have mentioned these guys earlier, but I mean, these are guys that I've bought cards, these guys, because I think they're awesome hockey players and I want to watch them play. But they're defensemen, so there's a bit more risk with the, in that the, hob, the hobby itself won't adopt them as, you know, collectible or investable players. But I think that could change. I think it could change. If it makes no sense to me in basketball that big men get no don't get any love, how does... Shaquille O'Neal not getting any hobby love. I mean, the guy's one of the all-time exactly. greats. So, you know, Bobby Orr in hockey is is probably the second best player of all time behind Wayne Gretzky in most people's opinion. He's a defenseman and he gets a ton of hobby love. So it's kind of weird. Like you know, it's just weird. Raymond Bork. I though, actually have was, a you know, theory about this. I actually have ahead. a theory yeah. about this. So in in the nineties and I'll even say in the eighties, the defensemen were headhunters. As a defenseman, you could take somebody's head off. You, it was a lot more physical and a lot more fights and a lot more more just grinded. It was violent. It was violent. It was back violent. Then, yeah. And it, and it's in back then, man. De- defensemen were revered. I mean, in in Dallas, Darian Hatcher was almost a hockey god, even though he didn't he didn't t- touch the puck much. He didn't score much. But the fact that he had the whole team's back, and you knew if you threw an elbow, Hatcher was going to come after you. Well, nowadays, you don't have those guys. You don't have goons. You've, you've got kind of goons or pseudo goons, but you don't have the classic, I'm, you mess with my player, I'm going to take your head off type player. And I think once, once the violence kind of slowed down in hockey, I'm not saying there is no violence, but there's not that that they're they're not going to take yeah. somebody's head off because that's declined. You've seen the decline of the role of the the defenseman to now just hold the blue line or hold the blue line and maybe hold somebody up. There's not that that goal line stance. You're not going to cross the blue line, or if you do, I'm going to take. There's just not that. Could that be yeah. the reason for the decline of the defenseman in in, in hockey cards? Well, even I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you know, in the '90s, you had Nicholas Lidstrom, you had Sergei Zubov. These were these were best defensemen in, in the league, and they weren't they were not uh, goons or headhunters. They were finesse players, and mm-hmm. they still just didn't get the love. And I mean, Nicholas Lidstrom is one of the best defensemen of all time. You know, probably top five. In the '80s, you had Ray Bork and Paul Coffey. I mean, these guys yes, are all to- these times are high end Hall of Famers. And, but they just, you know, they, they do get some love in terms of their rookie cards, but there's not really like a bunch of guys that are just, I call, I collect Paul Coffey or I collect Raymond Bork or, you know, Nicholas Lidstrom might get a bit more love because there seems to, 
Detroit Red Wing fans seem to collect Red Wings cards <laughs> to the nth degree, which is really cool. I'm glad that they exactly. do. But I don't, I don't know if that theory holds or, or not, Brad. I'm not, I'm not denying it. I just, I just don't know. I haven't. No, I'd I have to put some thought into it, I guess. But now, now what's happened is the game has sped up, and there's no, you know, there's not as much clutching and grabbing as there used to be. You get penalties for yeah. that. So if a player has the puck, he's going to be able to skate with it. And so, you're, and you're seeing a lot more, you know, hockey through the 90s and the early 2000s, it was, a, it was like a, it was all about size. Now it's all about speed. Now you mm-hmm. want speed in your game, speed and puck control. So guys like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, they're not big players. These are little, littler guys. But I think that we're going to see it. I think we're going to see a bit of a shift. I think defensemen are going to start to get more love because the, the biggest issue is that, you know, in the dead puck era, which was like, which was like the late 90s, there was very little scoring in the NHL. So you weren't seeing a lot of, players' names end up on the score sheet every night, especially defensemen. Right. Now we're right. seeing defensemen score more. Miro Heiskanen, Victor Hedman, uh, you know, the, um, Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr. Yes. These guys yes. are, are scoring more. So we, I think we could see as the game itself changes and evolves, I think we could see defensemen getting more hobby love. And I think that would be awesome because it would open up all these players for collectors to pursue and they're great players, and they're fun to watch. You know, stay-at-home defensemen, eh, I, I'm not interested. Just, you know, yeah. you're just, it's not yeah. an interesting position to collect. And they, they, you know, they don't, they're, they're, they're players who the team appreciates. The coach loves those guys, but the fans, they're not bringing you out of your seat. Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes can bring you out of your seat, skating end-to-end and scoring a goal, even though they're defensemen. So, right. uh, you know, but, you know, back to kind of like, the, the the Western Conference and and players over there. I mean, if you look at, um, I suppose if you look at uh, other teams like you know St. Louis Blues, well they don't have many prospects right now. Colorado Avalanche, okay, they, they've got Miko Rantanen. He plays with 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 Nathan McKinnon and of, and of course Kale McCarr. The Winnipeg Jets, mm-hmm. they're more central, but they're they're in the West. They've got Patrick Laine. Patrick Laine is, you know, thought to be the next Alexander Ovechkin. He's a goal-scoring machine, and he's young. He's probably 21 years old right now, so he's a guy you could watch. Nashville Predators, I'm not sure who their young guys are there. Minnesota Wild, I mean, these are the boring teams of the, of the, of the NHL. Um, and then the Chicago Blackhawks, they're, they're a perennial competitor. They've got a young guy by yes. the name of Kirby Doc. Kirby Doc right now, who's been mm-hmm. getting some hobby attention. I'm not convinced on the, on the player, but and Alex DeBrinkett. Another kind of younger guy there. He's been around for three years or so now, and you know they've got some potential. So there are prospects in in the West, and there's good players in the West. But for whatever reason, right now I think the East is more exciting when it comes to, to players to collect. And a lot of that might be because the East was worse for so long. They got better draft picks, so they could load up on the talent. Yeah. It's kind of it's their cycle right now. So let's talk about 2020 Series One tops that was just released. Uh, an absolutely. Yes, yes. That's a Thompson and Upper Deck. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Just happened. Like, yeah, <laughs> sorry, <know>. Upper Deck. <laughs> so, sorry, Chris. An amazing set. Beautiful colors. I love the SSPs with them being in their in their suits. I, I love the the colors. I love I love everything about them. They put in Lafayette. What is what do they have to do for Series Two to 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 make it such as a large of a bang as Series One? Well, I mean, they'll they'll hopefully, you know, it's all going to come down to do these do the players skate in early 2021. You know, they're planning to start the season on the 13th of January, I believe. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's been like if that that's been formally approved or finalized yet. I think they're still working on it. So if we can get hockey going, then we're going to have a bunch of new players that are going to take the ice, and that'll open up the ability for Upper Deck to make rookie cards for everyone who was drafted last year that that is going to get into a game and even see a, a shift of action. Um, so they, and that's what I think Upper Deck is is crossing their fingers very hard that uh, that that there's going to be um, that there's going to be a season here. So, but I don't, I mean, you know, series one and series two, they, they sell out almost no matter what, because it's just, it's, it's the, it's the every man set, you know, everybody can sort of collect it and uh, it, it seems to do well every year. What do they have to do? You know, they've come out with some new, um, some new insert sets, like the Fanimations are very popular they they put out the the young gun um, acetate versions where you get you know the clear, I don't know if they're called clear cut or acetate but they're just a, a, a more uh, a case hit sort of card you know there, people always talk about um, veteran content like the Gretzky's the Patrick Waz the Mario Lemieux that sort of stuff you know they could put some of that in there if they're willing to to spice up the the release it's going to come down to really at the end of the day it's going to come down to is there going to be hockey so that they can get all the rookies who are going to make their early season debuts and get them into the set? That's what Upper Deck, I think Upper Deck, you know, they're crossing their fingers hard. That's about all I can tell you. Crossing them hard that this is going to happen. So I hope that they do. What's your What's your favorite set that comes out every year? Is, what What is your favorite set? <laughs> yeah, good question. So I mean, I'm a I'm a collector that I don't I don't crack a lot uh, at all. I'm a secondary market singles buyer for the most part, but I do collect mm-hmm. cards uh, every year. And so, I mean, I like, I'm, I, I seem to be attracted to case hits a lot of the time because they're often creative and yeah. unique and obviously, and obviously more rare than a lot of other cards. But SP Authentic is sort of, um, you know, you've got Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2 as, the, as, as you know, the set collector set and the young, and, we're, and the home of the young guns. Whereas right. SP, SP Authentic is, is higher end, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at a more expensive box, but you're, the rookies in particular are autographed, on-card autographed, and they're numbered to 999. So you're getting, you know, a, a card that is, and they're beautiful. They're just really nicely laid out cards. So that might be my favorite set. And- yeah, so I thought I'd just jump right into Hockey Talk. No intro or nothing, just jump right into it. Didn't know if you'd like that order or not, but I thought, hey, why not try it? Hope you appreciated the interview. I really thank Jeremy Lee. I had a fantastic job talking with him. We had a blast. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit uh, news and notes and hobby and what's been going on. So uh, along the lines with the uh, Hockey Talk 2021 Upper Deck SPX Hockey due out on May 12th. This is a high-end product. Uh, one card per pack, four packs per box. Two to three autos and or memorabilia per box. Woof! I didn't see any pricing listed on uh, David Adams Blowout or Steel City yet, but that doesn't mean that it's coming and it's probably anywhere from a million to a million and a half per box. Just kidding, just kidding. Base set cards uh, numbered to 1 to 100, numbered to 299. So it's got a base set of 100 cards and they're going to be numbered to 299. So again, just a very high-end set, but I'm looking very, very forward to this. It's got Shadow Box rookies at one per 18 pack, uh, veterans one per 48, 
uh, finite rookies, uh, number 235, obsidian rookies, number 249, obsidian rookies, purple parallel, number to 99. This has got memorabilia cards, insert cards, base cards. This is a very, very high-end set, and it, it looks like it is worth it. The cards are beautiful. The autographs look like they're on autograph or on card, not on sticker. Uh, they've got rookie patch autos. They've got Pride of, of Nation patches, which look just gorgeous with their autographs. They've got Shadow Box Auto Rookie, Super uh, Subscriptions, number two, or Superscripts, number to 100. This looks like a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful set. Uh, I know hockey's getting a slow, slower and slower following. Uh, Jeremy and guys like him and uh, Dub and a couple other guys really pushing hockey. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can get uh, more of a hockey play in play. Uh, hockey play in play. We'll leave it. And we'll just see how it goes. I'm running with it. I'm running, well, running over it. Um, if you didn't know, uh, eBay has sold over, and we know we've got the Super Bowl coming up. We just had the AFC Championship and the NFC Championship. eBay has sold over $30 million. That's right, big $30 million in Patrick Mahomes rookie cards in the past 12 months. Whoo! $30 million in Pat, in Pat Holmes cards. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Another note, whether you like them or not, looks like fractional shares are here to stay for a while. Back in October, Collectible offered shares of one of the PSA 10 1980-81 Bird Magic rookie cards valued at 352k. Monday, they received an offer of 720k, and if it's accepted by the shareholders, after fees, when they bought in, they would receive about $160 per share. So a 160% increase from when it was originally purchased. There was also a note out there yesterday, and I completely missed it. I wish I had written, written, written wish I'd, I wish I had done written it down that uh, the Michael Jordan PSA 10 that they bought for I think 160 sold for 100 and, uh, sold for three to four to five times or something like that. It didn't look like fractional shares are gonna go anywhere for a while especially with cards going up and up and up and up in price. We're getting the million, the two million, the five million. I'm waiting for us to touch to reach the $10 million mark. Who's going to be that first card? I Could it be a Pat Mahomes card or could it be a Mike Trout or uh, is it going to be somebody else or could it be a vintage card? Could we have a vintage card reach that? It'll be interesting to see who the $10 million first $10 million card is and what happens fractional shares wise when it actually sells. So that's going to be interesting coming out. Uh, the January 22nd hot list. I like talking about this. So I'm just going to keep talking about it as it keeps on and if people don't like it then they can tell me that they don't like it. So, but uh, I like it. I like the, the 2020 Beckett hot list. So I thought I'd roll it out there. 2020 uh, Panini Contenders footballs on hot list. Of course, it just came out. Why wouldn't it be? Then we have Kevin Durant. We have Josh Allen. And it's going to be interesting to see on the next hot list if he stays on there after his AFC championship game. 28, uh, 28 of 48 
for 287 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, and a 60.1 QBR. Will that move him to the cold list, or will it keep him on the hot list? Uh, of course, you've got the likes of Juan Soto, Aaron Rodgers, again, Spencer Torkelson. I'm not 100% sure why that's still on there, but it is. Uh, James Harden, Colin Sexton, not surprised Colin Sexton is on this list, considering on his heroics that, that I uh, talked about last week on the uh, on the game, uh, hitting the final buzzer in overtime. So that's actually, that, that he's actually on there. That doesn't surprise me at all. I do Another note, I don't know if you saw this or if you saw this on Facebook. I tweeted it out. Chuck D. Yes, that's right. That's right. Chuck D. in the house. He released a song, So Hard to See My Baseball Cards Move On. I did it on my, I put it on my Twitter feed, at Texas Card Dude. You have to watch this. I tried to, to, find it on apple Podcasts. i tried to find it anywhere that i could listen to it constantly this song is awesome it is absolutely awesome it's a throwback to to the uh to the old school rap days that gives it's just it's it you go listen to it again chuck d so hard to see my baseball cards move on it is absolutely fantastic uh, Lou Gehrig bat. We talked about memorabilia going in into auctions. Uh, Lou Gehrig bat going for one million in uh, SCP auctions. Uh, believe it or, I don't know, but they believe that the bat was ordered in September of 1938 and used into 1939. And if you remember, 38 was uh, when the Yankees beat the beat the Cubs in the World Series. Gehrig went uh, four for fourteen. So do you really want a 4 for 14 bat of Lou Gehrig, or do you want the bat just because it's Lou Gehrig? Not sure, not sure, but uh, it is a piece of memorabilia. It's expected to go for $1 million at the SCP auctions. And then again, we did talk on Hobby Hotline about players selling memorabilia cards. Miami Safety, or Miami Dolphins Safety, Jake Scott's Super Bowl MVP ring. Now, if you remember Jake, Jake Scott, uh, MVP, 1972 Super Bowl, it is the only undefeated team in, in to run the table. Uh, Heritage Auctions on the uh, February Platinum Night Auctions expected it to reach uh, six figures. They're also going to do his 71 AFC Championship ring as well. So if you're into the sports memorabilia, you got an extra mil, mil and a half to spend. Or an extra six, six hundred, seven hundred thousand. You can get a couple of uh, MVP rings. Uh, I'm still seeing shipping rates being played with on eBay, and what I mean by this is I'm seeing ninety-nine cent cards with four and five dollar shipping fees. I'm wondering if the PWE with tracking is going to continue that, or if uh, or is going to stop that, or if they're going to crack down on that. I I just think it's weird. I've been combating that by putting the same card up at uh, uh, two and three dollars with 85 cent uh, PWE shipping and they're actually selling pretty successful so I'm guessing there's a little bit of backlash on that uh, and finally finally uh, UFC yes a little UFC move uh, USC UFC say that 15 times a little UFC 
news moving from Tops to Panini in April. Uh, Tops had the relationships to relationship until 2009. Uh, the first set is going to be released in April with a uh, Prism product. Uh, Panini will also produce 2021 UFC releases for its select product in July, uh, its Chronicles product in September, and Immaculate in December. Well, those brands are going to have uh, UFC cards as well. Uh, in a related story, uh, the big three distributors immediately responded by uh, revealing their pricing structure for the newly announced products. To uh, quote Mr. Swackhammer, president of Moron Distributing, quote, we have reached an equitable agreement with our resellers on a pricing structure that re reflects our demand on pricing. So blaster boxes are going to be released at one or at ten thousand dollars per blaster box. Uh, a hanger box will cost two twenty five hundred each. Hobby boxes will be at two hundred fifty thousand dollars each. Jumbo boxes will be at five hundred thousand dollars each. And cases are at one million dollars each. Uh, Mr. Swackhammer also said there's no guarantee of inserts, parallels, autographs, rookie cards or even cards themselves in the packs. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do it. Uh, if you remember Mr. Swackhammer, Moron Distributing, that's a Space Jam reference, but I thought I would throw that in as well. Hey guys, I really appreciate you listening. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to listen to the podcast. Let me know what you'd like to hear, what, what type of stories. I am going to be up in my game, as you can tell, with uh, news notes, funny anecdotes, uh, we're going to have more and more stuff next week. Please stay tuned. Uh, it's a great, great podcast. Myself and Hoosier Card are going to be talking about buying and selling and selling cards on various platforms. It is an absolute incredible conversation. I had a fantastic time. It was, it was probably one of the best interviews I've done, uh, if I can tout myself, because we're all talking about how to buy and sell cards. We both get into it. It's a fun and exciting time. Do not miss that episode. Uh, I am on Monday, um, Monday through Friday in the mornings, about 15 to 20 minutes. On uh, You can find me at Texas Card Dude on YouTube. Just having a blast with it with the Hobby Palooza right after 1 million Cubs bow. He kicks it off in the morning talking about his news and anecdotes of the day. And then I am immediately afterwards and I'm talking about the business side of the hobby. Uh, I'm talking about buying, selling, my hobby journey. And if you're just starting, uh, my name is Brad Bethune, Texas Card Dude. Uh, starting on January 4th, I decided to turn my hobby into my own business, working for myself to buy, sell, and collect baseball cards as a job. So look more on Texas Card Dude for those daily activities on YouTube. I've got the podcast. I'm on Hobby Hotline. Uh, I'm all over the place. I'm on Monday night with Herman on uh, Monday night rips, personal chats. We just talked to uh, Steph Loeffler of about the cards on last Monday, talking hockey as well. Hey, look, I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen. Y'all have an absolutely fantastic day and God bless. <laughs>